This podcast is brought to you by StoryKingBooks.com. Sign up to receive a free copy of my latest ebook novella, Kane's Confession. If you would like to learn how to support this show, visit www.patreon.com forward slash the Story King. And now for today's episode. Welcome to the Story King Podcast, the show all about fiction, film, and form. I'm your host, John Carlo, and today's guest is the blind blogger himself, Maxwell Ivy. Maxwell Ivy is an inspirational and motivational personal coach who also runs a business buying and selling carnival equipment and amusement park rides. We're going to keep his bio short and sweet so we can get right into the interview. Here's my conversation with Maxwell Ivy. Hi, Maxwell. Welcome to the Story King podcast. Hi, John. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to having a good talk with you today. Me as well. So why don't we... Uh, get right to it. Why don't you tell me your story, who you are, and what you do? Well, I appreciate that being uh, the first question, considering your show, because I, I tell authors the most important story they're, they're going to tell is their own story. Uh, mm. Me, I grew up in a family of carnival owners, and all I ever wanted to do was to take part in the business and eventually run a midway. I also grew up knowing eventually I would lose most, if not all, of my vision to retinitis pigmentosa or RP. Uh, but growing up in a positive uh, family of people who did things, uh, having good teachers, I uh, was able to graduate from a traditional high school and college. Uh, I achieved the rank of Eagle Scout. I'm one of the few legally blind Eagles. And I was lucky enough to work alongside my dad and my brothers for over 15 years before his death from lung cancer caused the closure of our small traveling show. And from there, I knew I needed to do something else so i uh, did the only thing i thought i knew at that point was it which was to help other people sell their used rides and games i started a website called midway marketplace where i still help people buy sell and trade used amusement equipment and it's very gratifying because in a lot of cases the people i work with if they don't sell what they have they can't buy something newer or different or possibly even retire from the business so that's very satisfying work uh, I had to learn a whole bunch of new things in order to get that business online. This was uh, 2007, which was before WordPress. It was before Wi-Fi and it was before Facebook for the most part. So hmm. uh, I had to learn a whole bunch of new things, including how to, ha to hand code HTML to build my first website. Uh, uh -huh. And as I went along, yeah, as, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I try to get, I try to go past that quick because it gives me nightmares. <laughs> um, it's just not something I would wish on anybody to have to do that nowadays. And thankfully nobody does, but I mean, I did it cause I had to, it was my only, ch it was, you know, I didn't have a choice. So I did it. Um, mm -hmm. people started finding out about my work and they were inspired by the way I took on difficult challenges. They asked me to share more of my experiences as, of being a blind entrepreneur. And that led to the blindblogger.net. It's also, uh, resulted in me writing four self-help books so far with a fifth on the way, traveling the country solo, appearing on hundreds of podcasts and radio shows, becoming an online media publicist so I help other people share their stories and promote their businesses. 
I am also now the host of What's Your Excuse, a podcast where I help my audience overcome their excuses by sharing interviews with people who have overcome adversity. And I have just recently started the What's Your Excuse podcast network where I'm going to work with other blind podcasters or aspiring podcasters with disabilities to either launch new shows or grow existing shows. So a lot of stuff going on. Most of it was not by design or conscious choice. A lot of it happened because other people saw things in me and they either challenged me to try something or encouraged me to try something new. And as a result, you know, for 13, almost 14 years later, uh, I'm a visually impaired online personality. And some people even say an influencer. And really, if you ask me how I got here, I'd have to think about it a while because a lot of it really wasn't by design, you know? Hmm. Well, there's a lot of fascinating stuff I'd like to unpack there. You're definitely a busy man. So I just wanted to first, how, how did your family get into the carnival equipment business? That's a very like specific niche. How, how did they get involved in that in the first place? Is that like a few generations back or? Yes. Yeah. My, my grandfather on my mom's side uh, started a company with rides uh they owned a, a, a small carnival here in the houston area in the 50s her her father did and then on my dad's side of the family his father my, uh, my paternal grandfather um he operated games on uh, midways on the east coast so on the one mm. side my on the one side of the family they did rides on the other side of the family they did games and my dad used to say the only way you get into this business and stay in it is to be born in it or to be married into it. <laughs> it's a family affair. Yeah, it's a hard way to make a living. And so generally people that last are people that, you know, have a reason other than the business itself to stay in it. Gotcha. That makes sense. Now, you said you weren't born blind. You had some type of condition where you lost your eyesight. How old were you when you when you lost your eyesight? Right. Well, it's uh, it's called retinitis pigmentosa. It's a degenerative disease. It attacks the retina, obviously. Mm. Uh, I had perfect vision until I was four or five years old. I started losing my visual vision gradually until I was in or entering junior high school. I had a big drop off of vision at that time and became legally blind and had to start uh, using a white cane, getting my books from audio, learning how to read Braille, and my vision stayed constant from then until I entered college. And then by the time I graduated college, it was down to what it is now, which is, is light perception uh, or what I find is easier if I just tell people that I'm totally blind. Mm. Wow. And such a crucial and developmental time in your life, like 12 years old. So what was that experience like hitting puber puberty and you know losing more, more sight? I can imagine that that's a pretty tough time for you especially at that age right well like i mentioned earlier i had a very supportive family i attended school in a district that had money to provide for uh, special education teachers orientation and mobility specialists mm. we had a braille instructor actually on our campus or in our district so and you know there were many times when i got out, i got to get out of class before the day was over to go learn some of the things I would need to have to know in order to travel around places safely. So while what I did wasn't always fun, the idea that the other students saw me getting to 
get out of class early was not bad. And being the only visually impaired person most places, mm-hmm. you know, kind of makes you somewhat of a celebrity. Not really, <laughs> you know, not that I not that I would have noticed at that time, but I think that it really, uh, it, it prevents a lot of, you know, some of the negative stuff that would happen at junior high school or high school. Some people don't know how to take it. Some people don't want to come off as being the, the, the butthole, you know, so <laughs> I did pretty well. Um, as far as uh, junior high school and high school, uh, I spent a lot of my time in other places. I had a family that ran a carnival, and most weekends I was working with them. In high school, I got into scouting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it seemed like there were, other, there were other places that supported me. You know, I just never, uh, for, for the most part, there, you know, there, there was a few bad moments or hours here and there. But for the most part, my family just didn't, didn't allow us to think about it in a negative way. It was like um, I had a grandmother that I spent a lot of time with because in the, back in the day, carnivals didn't travel the country year round. They only worked about eight or nine months. And mm. so in a lot of cases, grandparents, aunts, uncles would put kids in school during the school year, and then everybody would join up during the summer months. And my grandmother was one of those people. If you complained about stuff, she would find something for you to do so you would stop complaining. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the kind of people I grew up around. You know, a lot of people don't really know too much about the carnival lifestyle, but in, in general, although there are some mega carnivals, that are worth millions and millions of dollars. But in general, most of these businesses are, are mom and pop type businesses. They're family, extended family businesses. And they don't, they're not used to having the full resources uh, as far as money, equipment, time that they would like to have. So at an early age, you learn that, hey, you just have to figure out a way to get to next week. You know, nobody really is, nobody really cares about how you feel or what may have gone wrong during your week, your goal is to get open. So on Thursday or Friday night, they can buy a funnel cake and ride the Ferris wheel, you know? So by direct, you know, direct education, you know, things I was taught by my, by my family. And then just also by implication, I grew up thinking that it was better to try to figure out some way to, to do something about it than it was to complain about it. Right. And how has that attitude shaped you professionally? I mean, obviously, your disability hasn't stifled you, at least from from my estimate. Uh, was there ever a time where where you where it had, or or was the support just too overwhelming for that to even be a thing? Well, I, there was a time after my father's death when we uh, tried to keep our carnival going, and I didn't really feel the support from uh, from my brothers as far as trying to improve or expand what we had it was like uh with my dad gone the the goal was to become you know let's let's just make sure we have a certain amount of money coming in every week so eventually we joined up with my with my uncle's carnival and there really wasn't a place for me on his midway so i kind of felt adrift a bit um Mm. and you know i had some frustration and some anger but it really wasn't related to my vision. It was just related to not knowing what I was going to do with myself because there really wasn't a place for me. My my games were not making money on his midway. Didn't have the money or the credit to 
invest in uh, newer games or in a in a, a ride or some sort of attraction. So I was kind of kind of stuck, and eventually got to the point where I had to accept the fact that I was no longer a carnival owner. I was no longer a amusement equipment operator. That I just had to figure out what I was going to do next, and at the same time. I had a health emergency where uh, doc, a doctor down in Portland, Vaca, Texas, told me that I really needed to address my physical health if, if I wanted to be around much longer. And he finished that by saying he didn't mean years; he meant months. So, oh wow, yeah. So I did came home, and it was really kind of a uh, of a perfect storm for me, but in a good way because at the same time I'm starting a new business and really finding something that is all my own again, that I can take pride in and I can have curiosity and passion about. At the same time, I'm starting to get physically healthy. Uh, I found out that I had sleep apnea and was treated for that with a CPAP machine. I was able to exercise more regularly and eat better food. And eventually I'd have gastric surgery and lose over half my body weight and get the best physical condition that I've been in since probably before, probably before I was three or something, you know, mm. I ain't never been a healthy kid. I ain't never <laughs> been a skinny kid. Even now I'm, I'm not what you'd call thin, but at least I am good looking and, and physically well, well off, you know, I'm, right. I'm going to be around a lot longer now. So it was a perfect storm. Uh, I was able to, you know, to get past that frustration and anger and even a little bit of depression as far as not knowing what I, what I was going to do with myself. And, you know, then basically every day have to figure out how do I solve this next problem? You know, I mentioned having to learn how to code HTML. That was because as a blind person and not having the money to hire somebody to do it for me, I had two options as far as creating a website. I could either do what you see, what you see is what you get or WYSIWYG. Well, that that wasn't going to work for me. So the mm -hmm. next option was to learn how to do it line by line by line. And I did that for six years before somebody finally broke down my excuses over moving to WordPress and convinced <laughs> me that this would be a much better way of life as far as a website owner. And they were correct. But, you know, it's one of those things you get comfortable doing something a certain way. And it's like, yeah, I know this is hard, but the learning curve scares me more than just continuing to do it this way. So but eventually, a uh, really good guy from Switzerland, of all places, a guy named Ad, um, Ashley Falk, who is known as Mad Lemmings. Hmm. Uh, he's a website builder and, and, a, and a really good guy. Um, he, he helped me understand WordPress. He, uh, he taught me some of the basic stuff. And then he even went so far as to migrate my HTML site to the WordPress platform. And so I didn't have to stress over all of that, which was really cool because I, I might have continued to fight him for a, a little while longer if I had had to be the one to transmit, transfer all that data and links and images and stuff from, H, from my existing page over to WP. So, but yeah, I did that because I didn't have a choice. And those are the kind of things that I have, uh, have had to, you know, to do is I, I find solutions and I tell people all the time that anybody can do what I did. The difference between me and most people is most people will get to the solution and they'll look at the list or the only choice that's left and they'll go, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. Right. I hate doing that. 
that scares me. That creeps me out. You know, that makes <laughs> me, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You're laughing at me. So, um, and, but the difference is, is, you know, people who can, who can actually start making some progress, they'll go, I really don't like this, this answer, but mm -hmm. if I go ahead and do it now, I can start moving closer and maybe shortly I'll get to the point where somebody else will do this for me or I'll figure out a way where I don't have to do it this way no more, you know? So, mm -hmm. but, but these are a lot of things that really my, my vision loss, having to learn to be adaptable and flexible at an early age, um, this whole mindset of just having to figure out a way to get something done. These are things I learned over years and years. And as a result, I understand them and I'm doing my best to try to share them with other people. So do you feel your journey of tackling obstacles, you know, your blindness, the family business issues, health issues, is that really what inspired you to help others tackle the obstacles in their life and hence your podcast? What, what's your excuse? Is that, would you say that's fair? Um, I say it's, I say it's mostly fair. If I'm totally honest, mm -hmm. I will admit that, Part of this is just plain curiosity, just like, can I figure out a way to make this happen, to, to accomplish this? You know, is sometimes it's been just meanness. Somebody will come along and they'll go, you know, Max, uh, I think you can do this and you, sh you should give it a try. And I'm like, no, I don't think so. Or they'll come along and say, uh, Max, I don't know why you're trying to do something. There's no way you'll ever do it. So sometimes it's been, you know, I like to say one of the best things can happen is for a good friend, a double dog dare you to do something. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and that's how my first book got started. You know, I was, uh, I was promoting the Midway Marketplace. I had my blog going. Uh, and a woman came along and she said, um, Max, I'd love to have you be part of a virtual summit and talk about your experiences. But you need to have something you can give away or something you can sell them at a discount if they sign up to your mailing list. And I think you should write a book. And I said, no, you don't. <laughs> because I've never written a book and I have no interest in writing a book. And she's like, her name is Eve Poivola, by the way. So it's one of my really good best friends now. Um, mm. She said, I, I think you can do it. She said, even more, I think you could do it in 30 to 45 days. I'm like, yeah, you are crazy. And I say that in all sincerity because people call me crazy. So um, she said, but I want to share my, she went on to share her favorite quote from Richard Branson with me, which is, promise to deliver and then figure out how. Mm. And I said, that sounds great, but trust me, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to tell everybody this was your idea. You're the crazy one. And this is all your fault. And she said, that's fine. But she sent me a book she had written about writing books. And I started working on the book. And a few weeks later, she gets a hold of me. She goes, Max, uh, the, there are four other women that are going to be part of this week-long summit. And they've decided that it would be better for marketing purposes if it was an all-woman event. So you're out. And, right. And I said, I said, look, I said, look, I am a carny, you know, I'm, I'm a promoter at heart. I I spend a lot of my time, you know, trying to trying to make things happen. So I said, look, I know what it is to want to put feet on the ground, butts in the seats, or faces behind the screen. So it's okay. I said, but you've reminded me that I used to love writing. I'm going to keep working on this book, and eventually I'm going to publish it. It did take a lot of encouragement from some really close friends of mine to convince me the book was good enough and that it was ready to be published because I honestly didn't think it was good enough yet. I thought it needed to have more stories. I thought it needed to be longer. Uh, but it's turned out to even now still be the best seller of all the books I've written.
even though it's the shortest, and I think it's because it's more about my story and the life lessons people can take from it uh, than any of my other books. And I've been told the size of it makes it very approachable. So it's a, it's a cool little book called Leading You Out of the Darkness into the Light, A Blind Man's Inspirational Guide to Success. And like I say, it started because a woman challenged me to write a book and to write it in 30 to 45 days. And wow. it went from writing one book to writing another book and another book. And, you know, just this week I was looking through my laptop and I ran across a file I had had on there for a while that was, you know, some stories from my childhood and my, and my uh, middle, middle years. And I, I spent a couple of days breaking out into various chapters. And I'm like, man, Max, you got a lot of great content here. This could be like book six or seven or something, you know? Right. So, uh, so that's, that's the way it happens. I, I didn't intend on writing one book. I've written several, but it started because a woman basically got in my face and said, you can do this. You need to do this. You'd be really great at doing it. And oh, by the way, you can do it like next week. <laughs> right. Well, your whole attitude reminds me of uh, another good quote by Ray Bradbury. He says, you've got to jump off a cliff and build your wings on the way down. So it kind of yeah, reminds me. <laughs> yeah, I like that quote. I like that quote, but I have a I have an addendum to that quote. Okay. I tell people that's a great idea, but I would strongly encourage you to start with a cliff that's kind of low to the ground. <laughs> right. <laughs> start with them cliffs that are close to the ground and work up to the big ones. That's my thought on that. <laughs> that's a that's a good uh, amendment to that quote. Absolutely. Now. Let me ask you, how has modern technology been for you? You know, it's, a lot of things have changed, even like you said, from 2007, even just with website building. And I'm curious, just with HTML coding, how does that work for like a blind person? Is it, do you have like talk text technology? Like, how does that work? All right. Uh, first, I need to admit that I'm really a, I'm very much more comfortable with technology that's a generation or two behind whatever the latest thing is. So, gotcha. uh, but when I was creating my website in HTML, basically I would, was using either a Windows computer running a program called JAWS for Windows that is text-to-speech mm. or an Apple computer running voiceover, which is also text-to-speech. And I would basically go character by character by character to make sure that the less thans and the greater thans and the slashes and the periods and all that other great junk was in symmetry with each other. And hopefully when I pressed upload, I wouldn't break anything because if you think it's hard finding the one character that's wrong, when you can look at the screen, it's so much more fun when you're listening to it. <laughs> so, so that that's, but, you know, it, technology is one of those things. It seems like every time something makes my life easier, it also makes my life harder. I mean, mm. for example, you know, WordPress came along and WordPress did a lot of great things for me as far as making things easier where, you know, you basically you create things as if you're creating a text document, in an old school word processor, and then you have the buttons on the dashboard where you add links or, or embed images. And that, that, that's, kind of, that's really easy. But then three years ago, what did WordPress do? They installed something called Gutenberg, which, no, I'm not talking about the printing press from the 1500s. I'm talking about this stupid add-on that they've created thinking they were going to make WordPress better. I have actually had to install a classic WordPress editor uh, trying to get back to the way it was before they installed Gutenberg. So, and the reason it made things harder for me is it depends heavily on blocks of 
text, images, other features that you move up and down and side to side with drag and drop. And drag and drop does not work well with the screen reader. So, mm. you know, uh, so some things get easier, some things get harder. You know, for social, social media, as once it started coming along and I started kind of understanding it, you know, Facebook is a really great platform, but, uh, but just about the time I started getting to four or 5,000 friends was when they decided, oh, by the way, we're going to cap your number of friends and we're going to fix it. So if you want to talk to them, you have to pay us, you know, wow. or you have to join Facebook groups and send posters, post the same darn message on 12 or 13 or 20 different groups for people to actually see your content. So, I mean, on the one hand that things usually get better, but then other things get worse. So right. social media, social media, I really, for a while, I could do most of my social media by clicking re the reply button to my email notifications, but then they took that away from me. So on the, a lot of this stuff is easier on the iPhone or the, or the iPad, you know, mm -hmm. using the, the voiceover on the tablet or the phone. But there again, as soon as you get used to using an app, they will update the app. And then you have to learn how to use the app all over again. I mean, people are going to probably going to probably going to think I'm exaggerating this, but last year, Twitter moved the, new tweet button on their iOS app from the top right corner to the bottom left corner. Hmm. It took me over 12 hours before I found out where they had moved it to. Wow. You know, this year, one of the sites I used to reach out to podcast hosts, not, pod, not Podmatch, by the way, but they changed the link format on their website. They went from a dash they went from a slash to an underline. Underline. They right. changed their link structure. Okay. Well, since they changed their link structure, the links I had saved, and the way I usually entered the link in order to get to where I wanted to go on their website, no longer work. But they didn't bother to tell anybody this because they figured that you know you would just see it when you went to the website. So stuff like that happens all the time. I encourage webmasters. Whether you have, whether you know you have visually impaired or people with disabilities visiting your site or not, you probably do. And we are very loyal readers, consumers, employees. If we feel like you want us, we'll come back, even if we have to pay more to do so. So I, I hope more people will will you know think twice. They'll try to build in accessibility from the beginning of an app or a website as opposed to trying to fix it later. Right. But you know, the thing is, most people just don't believe there's enough of us to worry about. So, mm -hmm. uh, but with technology, you know, it is, it's kind of a once, it's kind of like a one step forward, two steps back, because a lot of times you learn the, the new hardware or software, or you learn the latest app. And then, oh, by the way, you know, you have to, something, something else new comes along or major changes are made to where what you were doing doesn't work like it did before. And it's, and I'm probably, it, it probably affects me worse than it does many of my visually impaired friends who are online business people, because I'm just not really a tech guy. I'm a mm -hmm. content guy. I, I, know what say, I know what SEO stands for, but I'm not one of these people who is going to try to play the game and try to beat the algorithm mm -hmm. and try to make my posts register because I've done all the, the search engine optimization stuff. But and that's kind of the way I am with social media, with my website. There are a lot of things I could be doing better or more efficiently. But, you know, to be honest with y'all, 
everybody has an area where they make excuses or where they accept comfort. And with me, there are times when it comes to my website, my blog, my podcast, where I will decide to continue doing it the way I've been doing it because it's, at least for right now, it's easier than learning the new way to do it. And, you know, I, I know that I need to do better with that. But I also know that by sharing this with others, I'm going to get them past the idea that I'm perfect or that I'm special or mm -hmm. that I never make excuses because trust me, I do make them. And <laughs> I've even made some pretty big excuses uh, over the, over the last few years. You know, we, we're all human. Um, a friend of mine does a podcast about, uh, about being blind and he, he likes to say that everybody has something that they're blind about whether mm -hmm. it's their personal life, their business life, their blog, their podcast, the way they drive to work and back every day. Everybody has a, everybody has a blind spot. You know, everybody has an area of their life where they are reluctant to change, where they are happy with comfort, even if they, even if they understand that doing it just a little bit differently will eventually make things better, they stay where they're at. So I understand that because I do it. And, you know, there was a time that I didn't post new episodes of my podcast because I was having so much trouble navigating the platform that I had in order to in order to put the audio up where people could listen to it. Mm -hmm. And so for two years, I said, well, I'll just post a video to YouTube and Facebook. And that worked until I attended a training program for visually impaired people in Kansas, where I was one of the instructors. At the end of the week, these people are telling me how much I inspired them and how I changed their lives by teaching them some independent living skills that they could use in their future employment. I'm like, okay, I cannot go back home and continue to, you know, to, to accept comfort with my podcast. So I did what I usually used to do all the time. And what I do, what I still do now most of the time is I started asking people I knew who might have the answer. And eventually they said, hey, you need to go to uh, Blueberry. Their platform is very accessible, very screen reader friendly, very mm -hmm. friendly to WordPress. And as a result, my I got my podcast back online in July of, uh, of two years ago. And, and uh, probably by the end of this week or next week, I'm going to be launching the website for the podcast network, which will also be hosted by Blueberry. And... But it was just one of those things. These kids, they basically basically challenged my BS or my excuses, and I had to go home and do something about it. So for those of y'all who are sitting there thinking, yeah, he's overcome his excuses, you know, yeah, he's used his disability as a as a motivating factor instead of a, as a reason not to do things, I ain't perfect. I ain't special. I just, a lot of times, I, I'm just really good at getting to the point where I'm not happy doing it this way. I'm not happy accepting that I can't do it. Mm -hmm. And I find a way. And, you know, sometimes the ways are, the way is not pretty. Most of the time it is not elegant. And I'm actually known for a saying on this. I tell people, hey, life ain't the Olympics. So stop trying to win style points. <laughs> right. <laughs> just get it done, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just find a way and, you know, find a way that's your way. You know, because that's that's what matters. If it works for you, you know, you don't have to tell everybody that you're that you're using a method that they wouldn't approve of. As long as you can get the results that and you're happy with your method, 
as long as your method isn't illegal, unethical, or harming somebody else, then if it works for you, continue to do it until you get to the point where you can do it something where you can change it, do it, do it differently. Hey everybody, I hope you're enjoying this episode. I just wanted to take the opportunity to let you know about a brand new resource I recently published. If you're interested in starting your own podcast, I've created an ebook called Launch Your Podcast Like a Pro that walks you through all the little details of producing and launching your own show. So for less than $5, you can own this resource by visiting storykingbooks.com or amazon.com. Those links will be in the show notes. And now back to today's episode. Why don't we talk about how you help clients grow their personal brands? Do you consider yourself an agent, a publicist, a coach? How would you describe your line of work? <laughs> <laughs> You're laughing. <laughs> because I still haven't come up with a good, a good name to call myself. I, okay. I'm still looking for a really good name. I'm, I've tried online media publicist, digital media publicist, uh, podcast rock star, uh, interview guest coach. So there's, there's just more, it's just, there's several parts to it. And Hey, if one of your audience members has a good name for it, tell them to message me. We'll <laughs> give them a shout out. We'll make them semi-famous on Twitter. If, you know, if they come up with a good name, but, <laughs> but basically what I do is I do all the work to help somebody create their, their brand using online media so that all they have to do is show up and have a conversation or show up and write a post, show up and write an article. All they have to do is show up and deliver their content. I teach people how to be great guests, how to promote their shows. Um, I'm really very, the, the most important thing I, I help people with is understanding what their story is and the power of their story and how to tell it more effectively, because there are so many people who have great stories and your story is really the beginning of where you create your brand, your personal story, and then the story behind your business. And, you know, that's really the most important thing is helping people understand their story. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who will tell you the same thing I used to would have told you, would have told you, which is that I'm no, I'm nobody special. I'm, all I am is X, you know, and trust me, it's taken a lot of help from a lot of great friends for me to get to the point where I can tell you, Hey, I'm known around the world. As the blind blogger, I'm the host of What's Your Excuse? You know, I, I can do that now. So I tell people, look, don't ever wait until you feel like your story is good enough before you start sharing it, because in your mind, you never will be good enough. Hmm. If, you, if you doubt the power of your story, then you need to find somebody like me who can help you understand it more clearly. And so that's the most important thing we do is get people clear on their story, because whether I help them tell it, whether I connect them with opportunities or whether they do that work themselves, if you can't tell your personal story, nothing else works. Right. And if you can't tell it authentically, you know, if you, uh, if you, if you aren't willing to answer difficult questions and, you know, now you, now sure, you, maybe you're not that way the first time you go online with somebody, but if you don't, if you don't have a commitment to growing into being authentic with hosts, with letting their audiences see who you really are, because see, here's the way this works. I'm coming on John Carlos show. Y'all, you know, y'all are friends of his. Y'all been following him. Y'all been listening and watching for a while now. Mm -hmm. So y'all trust him. So since y'all trust him, you're going to give me a chance. But if I come on here and BS you and try to, t and try to, you know, try to be somebody I am not, you know, if I try to maybe, you know, soften some of my answers or be more positive or e 
even fib to y'all, <laughs> your audience is going to spot that in a second. They're going to mm-hmm. get tired. They're going to click off, and that's going to hurt both of us. So know what your story is. If you don't know, get somebody to help you. Tell it authentically. Be willing to answer difficult questions. You know what the secret is to answering difficult questions is knowing that you know all the answers. I mean, think about it. Right. There isn't a question that you can ask me that I don't know the answer to, that I haven't thought about, or that I shouldn't have already thought about. It's just a matter of, you know, how far do I want to go? Right. You mean like knowing the answers to whatever qu- anybody can ask about your personal life, you're, you're going to know it because you're an expert on yourself. Is that basically what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, I'm an expert on myself. I'm an expert mm-hmm. on my biz- business. If I'm not doing this to promote a business, I'm an expert on my nonprofit. I'm an expert on my passion, my hobby my pastime, you know, that's, and, and a lot of people are doing, are doing podcast interviews or doing online media with no intention of building a business, but they do have an intention to promote a nonprofit or to share their knowledge and experience on things like pop culture, for example. So uh, know your story, be willing to tell it. The more often you tell it, the better you're going to get at it. But most importantly, be honest and authentic and uh and bring the best version of you even if that's you know even if that even if there are things about you that you know that make you nervous like for example uh the woman who edits my books lorraine regularly from wordingwell.com she's also one of the people that i have helped uh grow her grow her brand in the last few years and when we started the biggest obstacle i had was the fact that she was raped as a teen and while still a virgin that she went into prostitution and drug use, that she's a single mom, that she lost touch with her son at one point, but now they're, you know, all these things. She's like, Max, if people hear this about me, they're not going to want to hire me. And I'm like, no, you're wrong. If they hear this about you, they're only going to want to hire you more. Right. And yes, I was right. And yes, she was wrong. But, you know, don't ask her to admit to it because, you know, she won't. But uh, it's just one of those things that as an editor and a proofreader and somebody who helps people through the pub- self-publishing process, it's done nothing but make people more impressed by her after they hear her story. And, you know, now she's even turned again into doing public speaking and she's written a book to help people with depression that are contemplating cons- kind of suicide. These are the kind of stories that I help people tell. And in some cases, it's a matter of they don't know that the story has power. But in other cases, they are afraid because they think if people find out who they really are, they won't want to do business with them. Mm -hmm. But in fact, when people find out who you really are, they can trust you in a way that they can't without knowing these stories. And they can be impressed. They can be inspired. They can be challenged. And maybe even a little made a little bit uncomfortable in some cases. But hey, there's nothing really wrong with any of that because it won't change the way they think about you in a negative way. So you encourage your clients to be a little more vulnerable than what they're comfortable with. Yeah. And that's especially difficult whenever I deal with a business client because people who own businesses are even more reluctant to put themselves out there because they feel like they have to watch every word. Mm-hmm. And if and if their potential customers and clients know that they've they've had problems in the past, they're not going to want to do business with them in the present. And what's your favorite part about what you do for for these clients? Uh, my favorite part is seeing the growth, is being there to watch the understanding, you know, to uh, to to 
to have the 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 joy of them growing both as a person and a storyteller, but also, you know, to grow into their their personality, their business, to to see them, you know, come out into the world in a way that they never had before, and then to see how that affects their business. Because that's you know, that's the fun part. I one of you know, one of my most favorite things is to listen to the is listen to, to one of my clients, listen to a new client the first time they press record. You know, mm-hmm. the first time they do an interview, because that's the beginning. You know, that's, yeah, it, it, lots of bad things can happen, and quite often they do, but lots of great things happen as well. And, you know, sometimes I have to work extra hard to get people to press record for that first time. And, but you know, what's really, what's really fun and really funny is I have yet to have a a client who, after they did a couple or three interviews, didn't go, okay, Max, this was great. Now, can you get me more? You know, it's, it's, well, I mean, think about it. You do these as a host. I imagine you also do some interviews as a guest. Is there anything else in your business life that you enjoy doing more than having a great conversation that at the same time? can grow your business. Right. It's, it's a great way to, to build your business. As a matter of fact, I'm, I plan on trying to get on more shows this summer. That's one of my, my main strategies to promote one of my books. So I'm, that's what I'm looking forward there, to doing too. There, there you go. Author, book, build the platform by doing podcast interviews um, or by hosting a podcast or both. Mm-hmm. So uh, by the way, so what do you have a title for the book yet? Uh, yeah, this one is a work. I have two books. So one's a nonfiction one called Launch Your Podcast Like a Pro, which is just kind of walks you through, walks the novice through how to start their own podcast, you know, the different platforms out there, the different equipment you would need and so forth, and even the skills. And then the other book I have is uh, my first collection of short stories called Massimo's Mirror and Other Strange Parables. So that'd be coming out in about a month. Now, see what I just did there, yo? I gave the show host a chance to mention his stuff instead of me just talking about mine. <laughs> That's an important thing to do if you're going to be doing a lot of this, you know, is uh, remember that you aren't here just to promote yourself. You're, you're here to have a conversation and to provide value. And if you get a chance to, you know, to help the host out, then that's that's really cool, too. I'm I'm more interested. I would be more interested in your book with short stories because I'm one of these people, my idea of of starting a podcast like a pro is is uh, starting a podcast and getting better as, as as you do it. I'm I'm one of these people. I believe uh, you know we we have different approaches, but they both work. But my approach is to just to start badly and get better as you do it. That's kind of my approach to things. Right. No, I I agree. You know, my my first season for my podcast, it was really just kind of uh, fumbling through it. I was just narrating stories. And then I was like, you know what, this is really boring and I don't like it. And I switched to an interview model. And then I had the challenge of trying to find guests and they can only find family members and a few friends. And then all these other sites started popping up about connecting podcast hosts with guests. And now I'm a year overbooked. (laughs) So, (laughs) right. And you know, people, it's and I and it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting that you mentioned these podcast booking sites. Um, people ask me, they're like, Max, aren't you worried that with all these websites coming online, that people aren't going to want to need your aren't going to need your help? And I point out a couple of very important things. One is these websites that have 
you know, the self-serve options where you, you post your profile, like on a dating site and mm -hmm. posts or, or show guests find you by a search engine or by an algorithm. Well, the thing about that is, is a lot of times you're going to get inquiries from people who don't belong on your show <laughs> or, <Right. laughs> or, or you're going to get, you know, like, you know, 20, 30, 50 inquiries at one time, and you're going to be overwhelmed by them. And I would say too, because I have both like guests, they, these sites allow you to have a guest profile and a host profile, right? Yeah. So I have a lot of people reaching out to me to be guests on my show, but I don't have a lot of people reaching out to me to be their guests. You need some extra help there. You got to pitch to shows. You got to be strategic yeah. about it. It's a little different. You know, everybody wants to get on the podcast. So I think as a host, you kind of have your pick of the litter, so to speak. But as a guest, I think it's, I think it's a bit more difficult. So you do need some, some strategy yeah. there. Well, I appreciate you saying that, but the, and, and I was actually going to mention that. And what I, I have done many podcast interviews this year where I reached out to the host via the messaging system on the platform they were using or by mm -hmm. sending them, by sending them an email. And their response was, Max, I love your story. I want to have you on my podcast. And, you know, I, until you sent me this email, I didn't know that you were even on that service. Right. Wow. You know, so, so you still have to pitch yourself. You have to be strategic. You have to, you have to, to know a little bit about the host and make sure that when you introduce yourself or introduce a client that you're a good fit. And sometimes, you know, you're an exactly perfect fit, but sometimes you have to, uh, you have to explain a little as to why you would be a great fit. And there again, it gets into storytelling because yeah. here, Here's what I've learned, and people are going to go, Max, you shouldn't be sharing this because you could be costing yourself work, but I, I like to help people, and, and for the most part, when people start doing the work on their own, they're going to end up coming back to me or somebody like me anyway. So here's the thing. When you pitch people, forget about this junk that says you need to have a short message, and that it needs to be you know, directly to the point. You need to mention the host name, the show name. Here's the most important thing you need to do in that first paragraph and in your subject line, you need to make the host want to know more about you. And how do you do that? You do it with storytelling. You do it by telling them in the first few lines who you are and why they need to have you on their podcast. That's what you do. And, you know, that's why I get 80 plus percent uh, people saying yes to me or my clients. And I hate saying that out loud because it really hurts me to brag on myself. You know, <laughs> uh, I will do it occasionally, but it's not easy. So that's what you have to do. You have to tell the host a story and you have to be willing to send, you know, more than a fair amount of emails. If, if you want to do five shows a month, you're probably going to have to send 15 or 20 emails a month. If right. you want if you're wanting to do something crazy like 30 shows in a month, don't talk to me because I don't do that. I'm not interested in because to me, if you do over a certain number of shows a month, you're into that point where it's gone from being conversations focused on getting to know people and sharing value has gone from that, which is wonderful, to a I'm just gonna crank this stuff out and say that I did 30 shows in a month or 50 shows in a month. Mm -hmm. Plus Plus, if you, if you book over a certain number of shows a month, you don't have time to promote those interviews. You don't have time to, to, you know, to follow up with the host or to follow up with their people. So I, I honestly believe it does come down to storytelling. 
And there's also a lot of patience involved because, you know, you know this, you, we talked about this before we started pressing report. When you want to be on podcasts, there's going to be a delay between the time you pitch a host mm-hmm. to the time they say yes, to the time they schedule the recording, to the time the uh, recording actually takes place yep. to the time that recording goes live. Every step along the way, there will be a delay. On top of that, since you generally don't get an immediate, you know, there's, I, you know, people ask me, Max, if I do this podcast interview, am I going to sell 100 books? You're asking the wrong question. Probably no, but <laughs> right. doing these interviews has to be a cumulative thing. It's something you do on a regular basis. It's something you build up your your person out in the, out in the world. You build up a platform, as the authors call it, or as a or a community uh, or an audience. But you do that by continuous content. Now the difference is is you can do that by social media posts. You can do that with email newsletter. You know you can do that with blog posts. But that all that stuff all takes more work and is less fun. So every time you go live, you're creating content. You're extending your brand online. So this is what I do. This is what has worked for me. This is how I've gone from failed carnival owner to respected equipment broker to author and speaker and all that other junk we mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Now, so yeah, I, I appreciate you agreeing with me that you still have to have somebody to do the outreach for you. Um, you, you still have to have somebody help to help craft those emails and I use the word craft for a reason because if you or your rep or your representative are sending the exact same email to every host, uh, you're going to be sadly disappointed because just like just like John's audience, just like y'all could tell if I was going to show up and be a phony, these hosts can tell when they're getting a canned email. Right, absolutely. And another thing t- I would mention too is that something to tell your clients is that podcast listening is is non-linear so somebody may discover a show a year from now and then they'll 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 oh i like this show and they'll start listening to the back episodes and and yes. discover somebody that you had do this interview a year ago and now all of a sudden you have a new listener but it's coming out of the blue because that's just how you know podcast is not the radio it's not tv it exists forever once the show is up and active so it's like this non-linear weird medium that that people can discover you for years to come once you do the interview thanks for reminding me of a very important point that is true once we record them they're generally out there forever just like any of your other content, except this will be good stuff that you want people to find years from now. And you're right. People binge listen. If they, mm-hmm. if they find a show because a friend of theirs tells them about it, they've never heard it before, and you have 100 episodes, who knows how many of those episodes they'll listen to or how far back they'll go. And yes, you, know, you could get hired or somebody could visit your website and buy your product that hurt, is listening to something that you recorded five years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, or that's listening to something you recorded a year ago, or even, you know, in some cases, people, they get busy, they do their podcast listening on a, you know, a given day of the week or while they're at the gym or while they're in transit going to and from work. So, you know, you may publish, I may publish an interview on, uh, on Monday of this week and somebody may not hear that or have the time to listen to it until Friday or Saturday or Sunday of this week. And even just, that little bit of a delay 
They may find the podcast, but I like the I like the best part about that. Like you said, is the backwards, non-linear way people approach podcasts. And, Absolutely. Uh, and I I apply this on my social media. I I have yet I haven't figured out how to do it yet with uh, Facebook or LinkedIn. I'm I think I'm going to eventually try to try one more time to figure out Buffer or Hootsuite and see if one of them will do it for me. But I have revive old posts set up on my wordpress site where people can find my podcast interviews that's at the blind mm-hmm. i have revival posts set up on there with twitter and what happens is is every few hours it will go through my last my past posts and at random it will choose one of those and reshare it to twitter and so people who only started following my twitter account this week they may go wait a minute that interview he recorded five years ago, that was a great show. I got to go. So that's another thing about it that's non-linear. And we, mm-hmm. as hosts, need to take more advantage of the non-linear because, you know, not only is our audience continually growing, but our social media followings are continually growing. And there are people who don't know about our past work. So if we can find, you know, products like that that help us reshare that content, get it in front of the new, the new visitors, to your Facebook or Twitter page, then we can kind of force feed that non-linear listening pattern that people are hoping for. So yeah, it's it's all an investment. It's a it's a it's a gradual, continual work in progress, which nobody wants to hear because everybody wants to be famous next week or make six figures <laughs> by the end of the right. month or be right. a best-selling author by the end of the year. So you know what? It, but it's but you know when you find those people who listen and understand uh or you know quite often it's people who have tried a whole bunch of other things and none of those have worked usually because the people promoting those other things weren't completely honest with them about how or when it would work so you know if you come at them with something like this where you just honestly tell them hey it's going to take patience it's going to take continual effort but you enjoy it most of the time mm-hmm. then you know they some of them will listen and you know i'm i'm really looking forward to seeing who the next person that is is going to want to to get some help i i love people with great personal histories and backstories uh i like i generally work better with with uh, people who are create creative entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. as opposed to people that are business owners or aspire to be business owners but i have done work for 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 entrepreneurs uh in like you know, pro- that sell products and services as well. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it takes a little more thought process than, you know, when I'm trying to help a, a, an author or a speaker or a podcaster. So I've, can wor- what I do will work for just about anybody, it, but it really comes down to the patience and the continual effort. And then as much as I hate to say this, mm-hmm. sometimes it just takes, it takes, takes a little being lucky you know i i do you know back in the day my family we operated the carnival and most of the time i worked games and we used to tell them all the time it only takes one to win you know it only takes Mm -hmm. one ball in the milk can to win choice well when you do a podcast interview it only takes one listener it only takes that one right listener who has an audience or a a checkbook or a business or a credit card it only takes that one person who hears you, who understands you because you're speaking it in a way they understand, 
that's that's ready and willing to take action. So every time you do this, I don't have to reach thousands of people. I only have to reach one person. So what's a good amount of shows for pe- for people to try to to get on? So let's say you're an author and you want to get on some podcasts. Let's say in a single month, how many? What's a good sweet spot to try to get on? Right. I think I think the right number is somewhere. Somewhere between four and six. Okay. I think if you can do one quality show a week, and of course, you know, some months have end up having five weeks in them, some weeks, some months you've got three and a half weeks or four, um, just sort of four. So I would say the goal is one quality show a week. And I'm not talking, you know, huge audience as a measure of being a quality show. I'm talking about do they have a regular audience regardless of size? Uh, do they put out re- reliable, consistent content? You know, if you check out one of their episodes, do they look like they are having a conversation or do they look like they're forcing the interview and uh, mm-hmm. trying to overscript things? You know, you just so I would say on average, one good show a week. And for the most part, and this is another one of those things that's kind of counterintuitive is because of the the fact that in the beginning of a show, the host is more invested and their friends and family and their their close social media followers and are invested. I have gotten just as much results as far as traffic and interest out of doing a brand new show or a relatively new show or a show with a small audience that's growing as opposed to doing a show that has a huge audience. I mean, I have done shows with hmm. a few hundred regular listeners and and got better results out of that than shows I did where they had supposedly had verified audiences of 50,000 or 100,000. Uh, I even did one show a few years ago where they had verified audience of 2 million people. And I'm like, this obviously was not the right audience for Max because there was really no, there was no reaction, response, interaction between me and any of the people in that audience. So, mm. you know, a lot of times it isn't, you know, isn't the size it's the loyalty it's are they invested in the host and you know quite often the ones that are invested show up in the beginning you know they're there to help their friend they're there to help their fellow podcaster if it's somebody that's launching a show that has been following their show for example so when it comes to quality it's is it somebody who's at least done you know six seven eight episodes because when you get to 10 episodes, you are automatically in the top 10% of all podcasts. So if they've done six or seven episodes, if you know you, you listen to a couple or one of their shows and you, and you like what you hear, if by their description you feel like you have things in common, you can have a great conversation, then those are what I would use as measures of a quality podcast. And I would say one a week, four to five a month, and... Absolutely not one a day, absolutely not 30 in a month or 50 in a month. Uh, Those things may sound great and they may feel like an accomplishment, but you're, you're defeating the purpose because the, it's not just doing the interview. It's as you go forward from that interview, it's the relationship that you have started to build with the host. So for example, if I follow up with the host after I've done the show, uh, say when the show goes live and I'm, I'm wanting to promote the interview or just, you know, checking back to, to see if there's anything I can do to help the host or 
you know, maybe I find somebody that would be a great guest. I want to make an intro, whatever it is. Um, by continuing to, uh, to build a friendship or a relationship with the host, then other opportunities show up. So that's one of the reasons why I say that trying to do too many podcasts or doing them just because you're doing numbers is not beneficial. You know, you want these things to simmer. You want them to boil. You want them to boil over to borrow a cookie expression, you know, mm-hmm. and, that, and that doesn't happen if you're doing a new show every night. Absolutely. No, that's that's good advice. Now, I have two questions left, Maxwell. We're just okay. about wrapping up. You have time for two more? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. If I don't, it's my own fault because I tend to go on. <laughs> no, it's okay. So last, uh, second to last question. So there's a lot of people out there online, self-publishing, whether it's books, music, or films. So you gave a lot of advice, but what's one key takeaway that you think uh, you can leave my listeners about pursuing their dreams in an oversaturated internet? You know, how do, you, how do they stand out in the crowd? What's one key piece of uh, advice you can leave them with? Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to go off of podcasting because it's one of the things I know. I want you to think about these numbers, okay? Mm-hmm. There's, uh, I don't know the current number, but a few weeks ago, it was like a little over a million or uh, podcasts on Apple. Mm-hmm. Maybe the number's higher now. Uh, but the population of the globe is almost 9 billion. Right. So is the podcasting market saturated? Now, p- some people are going to say, well, if, but if I look at my niche... I'm going to see that there are a lot of shows similar to me or that have the same uh, audience or they talk about the same subjects. Well, the question is, is are they you? I mean, because I do a show about overcoming adversity. I have conversations, but I'm currently connected and friends with probably a dozen or more shows hosted by people with disabilities who do very similar things. Does that discourage me? Does that make me think that nobody will listen to my show because they have all these other shows? No. So the most important thing I can remind you of is you are unique. You are whatever story you are telling, whether it's by monologue or it's by having interviews, your take on that will be unique. The kind of guests that you find appealing aren't going to be the same kind of guests that another person with a similar show in the same field is going to find appealing. You're not going to ask the same question. You're not going to allow the same answers. Some hosts let me run on. Some hosts cut me off. And some hosts tell me before we go live, hey, Max, you really work on shortening up your answers for my show. You know, that happens. So you are unique. Your show is unique. There may be shows who look like or maybe feel similar to you. But as long as you remember that there is nobody else doing it exactly the way you are and be proud of that fact, and then put yourself out into the world and let other people know that you're here, then it won't matter how many others there are like you. Mm-hmm. You know, it really, it really comes down to think, knowing that, well, knowing you're unique, but also knowing that for the most part, we haven't reached saturation yet. Whether you're talking films, albums, you know, mm-hmm. we haven't had 20 of the exact same superhero mov- movie yet. We've had a lot of movies with different characters. They're all superhero movies, but, you know, we have, what, four or five different competing universes as far as that goes. But they're all making money. So just because you feel like there are others like you doesn't mean you can't be successful. But remember, you're unique. Continue to do it the way you know how to do it. And 
you grow your audience. Of course, you have to put yourself out there. You have to make sure that you're sharing your content with the world and, you know, not hiding it because maybe you don't think you're good enough or maybe you're afraid when people compare you to some of the others out there, they won't want to listen. So that's mm -hmm. what I would say. Know you're unique. And I have this really good friend named Ryan Badolf. He says, you know, to have two creative entrepreneurs arguing over there being, you know, too many shows is like two plankton at the bottom of the Marianas Trench arguing over water. Right. <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's interesting about what, what you just said. I literally just read this quote from the film director david lynch today and it's kind of the same idea he says i think new screenwriters are too worried it has all been said before sure it has but not by you <laughs> yes but yes i like you that. yeah and it's kind of the same idea that you're saying there's enough room for everyone because everyone is unique so you may be doing something similar but it's not yeah. exactly the same you're going to put your own spin on it so that's great advice yeah all right this is a this is a fun question okay so okay well they're all they're all fun man you know this is i don't this is not this is not work y'all this is you know this is max shows up and he straps on his headset and he's ready to have a good time so all right well this one's different we'll call it different so if you could okay. choose if you could choose only one superpower what would it be and why you know that's hard because i have several superpowers of my own so you know i mean like the whole asking for help or opportunities the you know, basically the not really fearing um, mistakes or failure, uh, the, the ability to decide to find solutions. But I think if, you know, if we're talking superpowers, I'm not really interested in, uh, you know, I'm, I, I just, I'm not really interested in flying or invisibility or any of those things. I think the superpower that I, that I came with and that seems to do the most good for other people is just being, is, is just, is showing people a way to overcome the fear they have around asking for help because that's one of those things i do really well because of my vision loss i was taught at an early age never to be afraid to ask and mm -hmm. so i also learned after 15 years of booking a small traveling carnival never be afraid to ask because if you don't ask they can't say yes so to me that's my number one thing that is my most important superpower and yeah, I know I'm not I'm not in the movies, but if anybody that works at Marvel is listening, we could talk about a film. You know, what I mean? <laughs> we could talk about it. that's my subtle asking there. That's my <laughs> that's my throwing stuff out into the world and asking kind of backhanded or you know in a sort of way. So, but I say that that's my superpower. I ask for stuff for me for other people, and I ask for help. And of course, I also offer a lot of help and a lot of value. So if I have to stick with one, as the old expression goes, I'm going to dance with the one who brung me, you know, I'm just going to keep, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to ask for, for help. I'm going to ask for opportunities. I'm going to do that for me, my friends, my clients, and occasionally for strangers who I happen to take a liking to online who I think need some help. Well, that's a very practical superpower. Your client, Adriana, chose immortality. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, for those of y'all who don't know, Adriana is my first ever paying client. Um, <laughs> she's been with me several years. And um, one of these days, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to find that audio of her very first interview. and I'm going to start sharing it with people, not because it was bad, but because um, she was so scared to do it that 
I basically had to fib a little to get her to go to go live. Um, <laughs> I convinced her that my friend needed a guest last moment and that if he she would be doing him a huge favor and that because he was in such a bind, it really wouldn't matter how well or poorly she did. I told her that she was going to do great. And it turned out really well that uh, she went on a show called Creative Magic Unchanged about, about uh, people who do creative work and mm. uh, Arts, books, movies, films, etc. So it was really cool. But Adriana is a different, you know, she's a she's a real weird character. I mean, um, <laughs> my the favorite thing that one of the things that she told me once that I really love is she's like, Max, you need to start writing fiction. I'm like, why? She said, because when you get frustrated with a character in your fiction, you can just kill them off. She told me the same thing on in the interview today. <laughs> 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 she said if they start misbehaving they don't they start doing stuff that i don't want them to do they're gone they're out of here and, there's a superpower yeah you know but hey you know if you want to talk about superpowers i think you know one of the things that i also learned from her and, or was reminded of is how we have opportunities all the time to practice the things we want to be good at and before she finally found the courage to start re releasing her fiction out into the world she used to approach every legal argument and every trial brief as a story to tell. And mm -hmm. she thought, so to her, that was all practice. And so when she started, you know, creating worlds in fiction that were, you know, legal thrillers, she could apply this. But, you know, so many people, they think, you know, my day job doesn't apply to my side hustle. But in a lot of cases, it does. You just have to be, you know, a little more creative and see the, the things that maybe aren't obvious to you really just comes down to keeping your mind and your heart open. And of course, one of the things that I have an advantage is I, I think a lot of times because of my vision, I'm not distracted by the, by the way things look or the way things probably would appear. And I think often there are a lot of things that don't scare me that scare other people uh, just because I, I don't think about them in the same way because I, I don't have this fifth sense to uh, get distracted by or, or be worried by it. So but Adriana is a really amazing woman. She's one of my biggest cheerleaders. It's it's fun when you get to work for somebody who wants to see you succeed just as much as she wants her, her own work to succeed. That is, it doesn't happen a lot in this world. But you know, I'm I don't know if she mentioned this to you, and I, this is probably you know going to get cut from the interview. But she likes to say she likes to to say Max, red carpets, baby that someday one of her books is going to be made into a blockbuster movie or someday I'm going to be speaking at an event that's with a red carpet or, you know, a book launch or possibly a documentary film based on my life. It says, Max, whether it's me or you, we're each the others plus one. So she's like, Max, always think red carpets because it's going to happen. And she also likes to remind me, Max, someday, because we've helped each other, someday we're going to write a book it's going to be called the blind blogger, the blind blogger and the Brazilian lawyer, how two friends conquered the world. Wow. And she's been saying that for a couple of years now, but I mean, she's already bought the dress and, <laughs> um, earlier this year, she's like, Max, you know, I know you're great at asking for stuff. She said, you know, I've got the dress and I got the shoes. She said, but I don't have any jewelry. You think you could start asking people if they'd loan us some jewelry? <laughs> But you know, she's just so she's just so positive and so focused and so sure. And when you when you get to work with people like that as a profession, it's like, how can you not believe? You know, what I mean, 
So, you know, it's, it's some fun stuff. It really, it's, it's a way we keep, it, keep each other positive. And, you know, it's one of those things. Some people do whatever they do as a career, a job, a profession, and they never really develop attachments to the people they work with. And some people don't want to because they feel like that could be dangerous to them down the road. But to me, I am totally blessed to get to work with and get to help people who, after a while, you know, they're part of my online family, which mm -hmm. reminds me, you know, you do this show and, you know, you're a great podcast host. And without people like you, I wouldn't have had the opportunity over the years to tell my story. There wouldn't really be a what's your excuse or a blind blogger or Mr. No Excuses without people like you, you know, without shows like Story King. It wouldn't have happened because I just wouldn't have had a way to connect with people. So I just want to make sure you understand that you're part of my story. You're part of the journey and this wouldn't happen without you. So thank you. Well, thank you for saying that. I really appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, your client Adriana was a great guest as were you. So I really appreciate you coming on the show and just sharing your knowledge and your expertise. If people wanted to hire you for promotion, if they wanted to get your books, follow you online, where can they do that Maxwell? Yeah, if they want to get in touch with me, they can go to theblindblogger.net. That's where every, everything I do goes back to the website. That's where they can buy my books or my merch. Uh, it's also where they can book me to speak. And uh, it's where they can find my podcast, What's Your Excuse? That's at theblindblogger.net. Uh, if you want to, you can reach out through the contact form, or you can just send an email to justask at theblindblogger.net. I love making new friends because... Every time you meet somebody new, it's an opportunity for something amazing to happen. I sincerely believe that. I also don't want anybody thinking they have to be ready to book me, buy from me, or hire me in order to talk to me. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing who finds the courage to reach out and say hello uh, as a result of this interview. That's one of the things I hope happens every time I go live because that's that's one of those really important perks of doing interviews is the opportunity to connect with new people through the host. Again, it's the blindblogger.net. If y'all want to listen to my podcast, you can also find it by asking Alexa or Google or Siri to play What's Your Excuse. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure all those links are in the show notes, Max. Thank you for sharing your story and coming on the Story King podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. And uh, please let me know if there's anything I can do to help you as we, go, as we both go forward and continue our journeys. So that was my conversation with the blind blogger, Maxwell Ivy. His links will be in the show notes. Don't forget to sign up on storykingbooks.com to get your free copy of Kane's Confession. Remember, if you're interested in starting your own podcast, you can visit my website or amazon.com and for less than $5, purchase my latest ebook resource, Launch Your Podcast Like a Pro. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash the story king. All those links will be in the show notes. One more thing, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do me the favor of subscribing to it and leaving a positive review on iTunes, Spotify, or the medium of your choice. And share it with your friends and family on social media. I would greatly appreciate that. Thank you for listening to the Story King podcast, the show all about fiction, film, and form. Please join us next time. Until then.